Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Basketball coverage, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 14 is in the books. The regular season is in the books for college football in general. Uh, we got some games to recap here. You uh, you ready to go? Uh, yep. Is there anything you wanted to talk about? Any, nope. Anything at all? No? Nope. 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 I'm good. You good? good. I'm good. As good as I'm going to be. Let's right. move on. We're, I'm, you right. know, we can have a little uh, little group therapy session here if we need to. We can't. We can't. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Uh, the Thanksgiving part was great. Uh, the football yeah. part to go with Thanksgiving was varying levels of awful. So uh, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that here in just a minute. Um, <laughs> well, be- before we start, as we do on all of these recaps, Mike, biggest thing that you learned about the ACC this weekend? <sighs> Miami has a coaching problem, Joey. It's mm-hmm. confirmed. Manny Diaz is on the hot seat. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Um, I yeah. As much as anybody, you know, we're we're gonna talk about that. And that was a rough look against Duke yesterday. Um, Cam over at State of the U has already published an article today stating that Manny Diaz is decidedly on the hot seat going into 2020. Which, man, life comes at you fast. Um, <laughs> Already? We're not quite a year uh, out from uh, Manny Diaz being hired away after a very successful tenure at Temple. Um, so that's, you know, life comes at you fast, Mike. Um, the new Miami, baby. The new yeah. Miami. Um, biggest thing I learned, I think, is that the ACC-SEC challenge is really not that much of a challenge right now for uh, four of the eight teams that are involved in that. Uh, it was four games, and I think the closest one was a 23-point uh, final margin. So go ACC, baby. Go ACC to that. Um, yeah. And three of the four were ACC teams on the uh, losing end of those games. So I'm sure you can imagine who the winning team was. We'll talk about that in a little while. Um, Mike, you ready to dig in some games? Uh, should we just start with one game in particular? Ending? Yeah. Should we start with the streak ending? Black I think we should. Friday, indeed. A Black Friday in Blacksburg except it was in Charlottesville, Virginia 39, Virginia Tech 30. The streak is over, Mike. The uh, the Cavs are driving today, not 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 the Hokies. Um, yeah, they, they they don't get the car for, <laughs> for Thanksgiving. Make to, didn't make it all the way to eligible to drive. Um, uh, yeah, Virginia, close. man, what a, what a performance by Virginia in this game. Um, it was a pretty wild one. Virginia controlled the thing early. Virginia Tech kind of came roaring back before halftime and a little bit into the second half, and then things just got wild. There were a bunch of big plays, and ultimately Virginia made a couple plays at the end um, to give them the win. And, you know, hats off to them. Bryce Perkins was unbelievable in this game. 
Um, he was he was incredibly had a couple of long touchdown runs. He he was ev- every bit as good as they needed him to be. Uh, Virginia's defense answered answered the call as much as need, as they needed to. Um, a lot of questions been uh, circling the Hokies and the coaching staff after this one. Again, it's a it's a rough loss to kind of see how that game ended and how the streak ended. And I, I felt like at times the uh, the game plan really left something to be desired for the Hokies. But at the end of the day, the big news here is Virginia wins this game. Uh, they break the streak. They take back the Governor's Cup, Commonwealth Cup. Commonwealth Cup, there it is. The Commonwealth Cup. And uh, they're headed to Charlotte. And Mike is what that means. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Yeah. Seven teams in seven years, baby, as we always knew it would be. <sighs> yep. <laughs> I said it all. Yep. Yeah, that's. We're done here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so at first it looked like nobody was really going to score. It was 13 to 6 at halftime, and this game ended up at 39 to 30. So then everybody wanted to score. Mm-hmm. So, know the feeling. Um, no, just kidding. There were a bunch but of big plays going back and forth between these two teams. This was nothing but big plays in the second half. Uh, I thought the offenses of both teams really, really played well. I thought the defenses of both teams played both well at times and then extremely poorly at times. Virginia Tech did not have Caleb Farley, their soon-to-be all-ACC cornerback in this game. That ended up looming large, especially in the second half. Uh, I, I don't know if Virginia Tech would have won the game one way or another, but it did change the way Virginia Tech was playing defense. You know, there was obviously a concern for Bryce Perkins, and Bryce Perkins really made the Hokies pay with two huge touchdown runs in the first half, uh, and he was outstanding all throughout, throwing and running, um, accounted for almost 500 yards by himself in this football game, so he was really, really good, and the X factor. You know, we previewed this game. We talked about Bryce Perkins saying basically, well, if Virginia Tech slows down Perkins, I'm not really sure what else Virginia has to really win this football game with. Well, he had 475 yards by himself, Joey, so uh, did they slow didn't him matter. <laughs> they did not slow him down, it turns out, hmm. and uh, that was one of many reasons why Virginia Tech lost a football game. They had four turnovers. One of them was a Hail Mary heave at halftime, so really they had like three turnovers, um, a really badly forced in their interception. Uh, in the fourth quarter, they had obviously a strip sack fumble at the end that UVA recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. Trey Turner fumbled on a slant in the first half. He picked up a huge first down that was fighting for extra yards and got stripped. Um, Hokies had, I believe it was eight penalties in this football game as well. Uh, multiple procedural penalties, false star penalties. They had one crucial false star penalty in the first half that took a touchdown off the board. Damon Hazelton got called for a false start on a touchdown run that Virginia Tech had. Uh, he moved a little bit early and uh, ended up costing the Hokies four points. So, I mean, look, Virginia Tech didn't play well enough to win the football game. And there was a lot of questions about some of the play calling, primarily before halftime. Tech had all three of their timeouts with about a minute 29 to go uh, in the first half. They ended up, uh, you know, running the ball, uh, you know, running quarterback draw plays and quarterback sweeps and nothing really all that creative. Um, and then they had one running play that Deshaun McLeese broke out for like 35 yard gain. Uh, but by then there was almost no time left in the half. So uh, they were real conservative there. They were real conservative in the fourth quarter as well. Uh, Virginia Tech had kicked a field goal. Uh, Brian Johnson kicked a field goal there 
in the fourth quarter. Uh, but prior to that play, uh, you know, prior to that play happening, uh, Virginia Tech had third down and 11. Um, they were obviously, it was a tied game. It was 27-27, third and 11. They're in Virginia territory. And instead of running a pass play, which, you know, Hendon Hooker had thrown the ball pretty well on Virginia all throughout the second half, including a couple of really, really big plays. The one to Trey Turner for a touchdown there in the third quarter was one that stood out. Instead of passing the ball with Hendon Hooker and playing aggressively, they ran a quarterback sweep to the near side of the field that went for no gain. Brian Johnson ended up making a long field goal to give Virginia Tech the lead, but it was just playing not to lose mentality uh, that really cost Virginia Tech. I thought uh, defensively the Hokies lacked aggression. I I thought that obviously they were concerned about Bryce Perkins' running ability, which I get, but Tech did a pretty good job um, after the first quarter at you know, filling the run gaps of Bryce Perkins and bottling him up in the pocket a little bit better. And, you know, I thought that Virginia Tech would continue with that aggressive blitzing mentality and just focus on gap integrity. And in the second half, they didn't really do that. They kind of leaned back. And again, I, I think having Caleb Farley out of the game had a lot to do with that. And he never even played with back spasms. I think over the course of the game, that ended up having a pretty big impact because Virginia Tech just didn't really get all too aggressive. They started playing... Uh, a little bit more zone coverage, which Virginia Tech defensively just hasn't been very good at all year long. So Bryce Perkins just ate him up. And at the end of the day, congrats to Virginia. They were the better team. Uh, they played a lot better, a cleaner game. Um, obviously did not have four turnovers. That usually helps. And, you know, when you're playing at home and you're able to, you know, continue to cap off big plays in the passing game and in the running game, you're going to give yourself a great chance to win. That's exactly what they did. And that's why the streak's over. As for Virginia Tech moving forward, you know, 2020 becomes a pretty big year. I think it was a big year to begin with. I think expectations for Virginia Tech this year, Joey, and and I know you mentioned seven or eight wins in the preview. I said nine wins. I was a little bit more optimistic. Virginia Tech nearly got to nine wins, and I, and I think a realistic expectation, you know, considering the youth they had last year, getting to six wins and the youth they had returning on the team, and, and again, not a lot of seniors. They only have five seniors on the entire roster. Um, I think reasonable expectations were, you know, seven, eight, nine wins, even with a soft schedule. They ended up kind of right there in the middle and they might end up at nine, depending on what happens in whatever bowl game and whoever they play end up playing against. But, you know, I, I think it was realistic for Virginia Tech to get to eight wins. How they got there was a little bit unexpected, but they got there at the end of the day. And 2020 was always going to be a big year. And I think it becomes even bigger because a lot of Hokie fans have seen the promise of what they have on both sides of the football returning. Without any players declaring early for the NFL draft, the Hokies have 21 out of 22 starters returning. I think at minimum, they'll have 19 starters returning out of 22, which puts yourself in an excellent spot. Of course, Virginia Tech has to replace Bud Foster, and they have to figure out what they're going to do with the offensive play calling moving forward because it's a little bit rough around the edges at times this year. So mm-hmm. there's still questions to answer, but there's a lot of promise for the future for Virginia Tech, and I think 2020 becomes a really important year. Yeah, that's you mentioned the offensive play calling, and that was a bit of a bugaboo in this game for the Hokies. And and one of the thing one of the things is, and I, I started thinking about this more as that morning of the game, and and as the game kind of got started, was I I wondered a little bit if Virginia Tech wasn't going to come into this game with a bad offensive game plan because all year they have been so hell bent on running the ball when they're clearly more effective throwing the ball, and Mike. There's, there's a very obvious way to attack Virginia's defense at this point. It's not by running into their really good front seven. It's throwing into their beat-up secondary, right? Like, yep. Yep. 
And you, you saw when Virginia Tech threw the ball, they did so really well. Like, they were really efficient throwing the ball. Hendon Hooker had a good day. Like, big games from Trey Turner and David Hazleton, and yet they still consistently – I mean, there was like 31 carries combined between Deshaun McLeese and Hendon Hooker if you take out the sacks that Virginia had. And Virginia did have six sacks, but four of those were in the final minute and a half of the game. Yep. So it's not like that was a constant problem throughout. Um, it, it just sort of reared up at the very end, but – Obvious like, passing situation there, too, yeah, at the end. Yeah, I mean, pin your ears back kind of thing. And it seemed like there were some offensive line breakdowns at the end, too. For I, I don't really understand why. Um, might have just been not having the protection set right. But, like, I didn't understand why Virginia Tech was so determined to run the ball in this game, as they have been all year. And I still I, I don't know why they've been that way all year, because they've had a, a big play here, you know, a chunk play there, but... For the most part, they have struggled to get a consistent three to four yards on the ground when they run the ball. And so this, I I don't understand it. You know, I, I don't, and, and I, you know, we'll, we'll probably not get any answers, but I think that's as, as much of anything, something that you can look at and, and criticize Brad Cornelson for is like, there's a thing that we're obviously good at. Why are we doing it less than half the time? That's what I don't get. It's been a problem for a while, too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it got better with it got better when Hooker became the starter, uh, because you know Virginia Tech. It was clear that all they wanted to do was run the football, and Hooker was better at that than Ryan Willis. So mm-hmm. it covered up for a lot of poor play calling at times, just based off of Hooker's athletic ability and things that he was able to do that Ryan Willis wasn't when he was the starter. Yeah, yeah, and I mean honestly, it's like maybe Hooker, maybe in practice didn't look as good as Willis did throwing the ball or something, but in games. I've liked what I've seen from Hooker throwing the ball better than I've I've liked what I've seen from Willis. You know, he's generally taking care of the ball. He hadn't he hadn't thrown any interceptions in ACC play, you know, in his career here until this game. Um, yep. he, he had one again, like you mentioned, just like an end of half hail mary, meaningless kind of interception. Write it off. And then the second one was a little bit more of a. It was a good play by Virginia's defense, but. Um, that was the first one you maybe look at and say, okay, yeah, that was a uh, that was a throw that he maybe shouldn't have made, you know, kind of thing. But I, yeah, I tend to think Virginia Tech's in pretty good shape moving forward. Um, Virginia now, of course, they're going to turn around and go play Clemson next week in Charlotte for the ACC championship. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Mike, do, do you remember who picked Virginia to play for the ACC championship for the year? You did, Joey. Oh, that's right. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. Yeah, let me also remind everybody that you also picked Virginia Tech to beat Virginia in this game. So this is true. While we're I did while we're making while we're making predictions, I just thought you know, <laughs> slide that right in there. But you could just come right back and say I picked Miami to win the Coastal, and that'll sting worse than anything we just laid out there. Well, they got close, Mike. They got close. Uh, <laughs> sorta. They came close to last. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah. Brilliant game for Bryce Perkins here. Um, Huge win for Virginia. Um, congratulations to them and to their fan base. Um, they stormed the field. You know, we were wrong about a lot of things that we said about them, at least for this year and for this game. Um, but as we said, we'll uh, we'll have the conversation about moving forward here in, in uh, the coming weeks because um, we still we need to have that conversation in a bit more depth. We do. It was a well-deserved win for Virginia. They were the better team. They beat another good team. I don't think it's a referendum on either one. For this season. Yeah, for sure. Virginia 39, number 24, Virginia Tech 30. Um, 
Mike, we have eight more games we got to talk about. Let's <laughs> let's move. Oh on. boy, here we go. Let's move on. Uh, Boston College twenty six, Pitt nineteen. Uh, so Boston College going bowling. Uh, they are six and six. Um, we got them and one other ACC team got bowl eligible this week, so that's good. Um, one of ten teams going to be bowl eligible. Other than that, Pitt. Minus four in turnovers in this game. Uh, Kenny Pickett threw a bad interception. There were fumbles. You know, there were multiple fumbles in the first quarter that they had. Um, they had multiple turnovers in the second half. I, you know, there was that. And then Pittsburgh is down 10 points. They've got fourth and one on the 25 with five and a half minutes to go. And on fourth and one, they kick a field goal to make it a seven-point game. And they never got the ball back. That sounds about right, doesn't it? That's pretty par for the course for uh, kind of how the decision-making has gone for Pat Narduzzi and his team this year. You think the uh, play calling at Virginia Tech's bad? <laughs> oh, man. Just outright like game management decision-making. Ah, Look no further than Pittsburgh and Florida State. Mm-hmm. Um, Joey, you mentioned Boston College going bowling. Mm-hmm. I have one thing to say to that. Fade Boston College? Surprise! <laughs> surprise uh, is right. Yeah, that was that was a surprise. I uh, look, we, we lauded Pittsburgh's rushing defense for obvious reasons. They're really, really good. Mm-hmm. Normally, like normally good. Mm-hmm. Uh, not against Boston College. Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ Dillon, who's like literally the only one of the only guys you have to game plan for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he averaged five point six yards per carry. In this football game, 32 carries for 178 yards and a touchdown. Uh, David Bailey, who usually spells him, was actually bottled up 11 carries for 25 yards. So didn't do a whole lot. Passing game for BC, non-existent. Dennis Grozel, 9 of 19, 123 and a touchdown. Wasn't very good. Didn't really need to uh, be, apparently. <laughs> didn't really need to be because Pittsburgh all of a sudden forgot how to stop the run. And in total, um, you know, Pitt. Gave up four, almost four and a half yards per carry against Boston College, which is not going to get the job done against a team that does nothing but run the football, Joey. Can we talk about, like, you know how bad Pittsburgh is at running the ball? They couldn't run uh, the ball against Boston College. They're that bad. I was, was going to say 24 carries for 71 yards bad? That's And against again, against Boston College, that is rough. And even if you take Kenny Pickett's numbers out of it, and he got sacked a few times, A.J. Davis, Vincent Davis... 15 carries for 88 yards. Yep. Those are two different people, by the way. They are. Uh, they are the uh, the law firm of Davis and Davis, of course. Yep. Davis and Davis and Jacques Louis. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We're French. I feel like there's like a uh, nursery rhyme coming here. Oh, yeah. Oh, so we talked about also, I think we talked about this in the last couple podcasts, about Pittsburgh and, you know, how they're usually more apt to running the football and they have more carries and passing attempts. And I think you brought up the fact that all they do now is throw the football. Kenny Pickett, 30 of 40 for 323 yards and in interception. Didn't throw a touchdown pass, but overall, that's pretty good, right? It's not it's terrible. Not um, you know, a bunch of receivers had big days. Jared Wayne, Shockey Jacques-Louis, and Maurice French. I mean, the six catches, six catches, nine catches, respectively. Uh, and they were basically the entire offense through the air. Wayne had 100 yards. Uh, Jacques-Louis had 80 yards, and French had 79 yards. I mean, I mean Pitt, they, Pitt put up four, almost 400 yards of offense in this game and scored 19 points, and that's what happens when you're you know, minus four in turnovers. 
when you're minus four in turnovers and you're overly conservative with play calling in the red zone, this mm-hmm. is exactly what you get. And they've been doing this all year, and I don't feel bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a bit of a systemic issue there with, with Pitt and kind of how they finish drives and how they make decisions from a, a game management standpoint. So that uh, that probably needs to be monitored. Um, by the way, Pitt, Pitt's field goals kicked from – Boston College's five-yard line, after having second and goal from the one, uh, Boston College's 17-yard line, and as we said before, the 25-yard line. So none of these were like exceptionally long field goals, and multiple of them you could say you could see why it would be beneficial to maybe just go for it, and they didn't, and it cost them again. Who would have thought? You know, you think they would have learned this like the first three or four times it cost them this year, uh, but they didn't. So great. Time is a flat uh, circle. Yes, time is a flat circle. You know what? I usually go with the rule of thumb to never kick field goals from inside the five yard line. Yeah, I usually go with that. Um, mm-hmm. Go with that mantra. But I mean, if, if you, you look know, back, haven't really shut up a bit. If you look back at the uh, Penn State game that they lost earlier this year. They were down 17-10. They kicked a field goal from like the Penn State two or three yard line. So not only did you just take a one possession game and turn it into a one possession game. Uh, also, if you had just like lined up and spiked the ball and made Penn State, you know, you turn it over on downs and give it to Penn State on their own like two yard line. Yep. That helps your win expectancy more than kicking the field goal does. Yep. Like that's <laughs> you would have been better off just spiking it like. Ugh. This is where we're at with Pitt. They they missed that field goal, by the way. <laughs> so he, he uh, yeah, Pat Narduzzi hates analytics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So again, not a great look for Pitt. They they managed this one into a loss. Um. Again, like you said, I mean, generally kind of wasted a really good effort from Kenny Pickett in the passing game. That was um, one of the they they looked better here down the stretch. Um. In general, I think you know from what they were doing earlier in the year, but. Too little, too late. Pitt, fin- Pitt, Pitt finishes seven and five. Um, Boston College at six and six. Both teams four and four in conference, which goes to see to that. Um, oh yeah, I don't have anything else. Anything else here? Uh, I think we're good. Pitt, you let me down. Yikes! You, you saved. Uh, you saved Steve Adazio's job, by the way. Maybe. Yeah, I tend to think so. I mean, again, you, you could kind of if you're if you're Adazio and, and you're or you're trying to defend Adazio, it's like, well, you had the quarterback injury, and we still made a bowl game, but at the same time, and were I they mean, actually were they actually going to fire him either? Like, probably not. I mean, it's yeah. fun to talk about, but probably not. I, I've I think we talked about this with Dan before the season, but I don't know how much I ever have gotten a sense of like real urgency coming out of Boston College. You know, like if we're making bowl games every year, I, it seems like that's just good enough in Chestnut Hill. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's the bar. Yeah, that's the bar. Is AJ Dillon coming back? Uh, would you? I mean, <laughs> I mean, probably not. Not but... at the running back position. Yeah, you only got so much tread on those tires. You know, if you're going to go to the NFL, you go now, and he'll be one of the better backs out there. I mean, maybe like a second, third kind of thir- second or third round pick he's you know big body he's athletic he does a lot of things really well I, I think he fits the NFL model um so I, I if it's me I think he w- would go but you know who's to say 
I have a hard time seeing him staying, mm-hmm. and only to what not make any money and go seven and five again next year. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for like a college degree, but um, but right. if, you know, with so many of these guys, if if the goal is to end up in the NFL, you know, go do that. You know, the odds say you're not going to be there for more than seven or eight years, so come back and finish college after that or something. I don't know. And chances are he's probably getting close to finishing college anyway, so it won't yeah, be too hard. Very true, very true. Boston College 26, Pitt 19. Let's move on. Syracuse 39, Wake 30 in overtime. And yes, Syracuse did win a game by nine points in overtime. How'd that uh, happen, Joey? Well, Mike, uh, this game, so this was a weird game. Wake never never led. Um, they, they were kind of constantly chasing Syracuse. Jamie Newman goes down with an injury in the second quarter. Uh, that wasn't good for the Deeks. Um, they were in a bit of a hole. They were down 17-3. Got it tied at 20-20. to um, Eventually made it 30-all uh, with a uh, field goal at the at the gun at the end of the uh, regulation. Syracuse gets the ball first, kicks a field goal. And uh, Wake, then, as, uh, as they're trying to go in and score a touchdown, fumbled. And Trill Williams picked it up. Yep. And ran that thing all the way to the house. <laughs> And that's how they uh, went over the total of 68, by the way. Significant to some. Significant to some. That's that's overwhelming, Mike. That's that's real overwhelming. Whew. Um, yeah, Tommy like DeVito. Said, yeah, well, so I was going to say, Jamie Newman came into this game, or uh, left this game with an injury. Sam Hartman came in, played okay, but threw a couple of pretty critical interceptions. Um, that was a pretty big deal here for uh, for the Deeks. I was going to say it was the battle of the backup quarterbacks. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, if you like turnovers, this was the game for you. Uh, yeah, Sam Hartman came in, like you said, two really, really back-breaking interceptions. But he did throw for 350 yards and two touchdowns. Wake Forest running the ball, like always, was an adventure. 44 carries for 151 yards wasn't great. Uh, Cade Carney did have a touchdown run. Uh, we mentioned Kendall Hinton's fumble. That wasn't great. You know, the Wake Forest turnovers really, really killed him. Not just in overtime, but, you know, obviously the the Sam Hartman uh, interceptions. And then Jamie Newman also fumbled before he came out of the game. So it, you lose two fumbles, you throw three interceptions. If you turn the ball over five times, you're going to lose the game. Um, you know, whether the team is on par with you or not, you're at least going to keep the team in the game. And in Wake Forest's case, they never led in this game. Uh, it's tough. I mean, when you have guys who are injured, I mean, we talk about Sage Surratt and he, you know, not being healthy, he gets knocked out of the Virginia Tech game. He's out for the year. You don't have him. Uh, Scotty Washington didn't play in this game either. But you did have seven catches for 172 yards from Donovan Green. Kendall Hinton did have 11 catches for 88 yards. That was good. I mean, Wake Forest still has playmakers, but when you lose your quarterback and two of your top receivers and you don't have them available to you, that obviously hurts. But that's not the sole reason why Wake Forest lost this game. The five turnovers obviously uh, played a huge role. Wake Forest defense continues to be really, really bad. Um, They gave up over four yards per carry, 44 carries for 180 yards for Syracuse as a team. Uh, Tristan Jackson, Syracuse receiver, had a big big day. Ten catches for 110 yards and a touchdown. So it was just overall just not Wake Forest day. And 
for as well as the season started for the Demon Deacons, they really, really slid here in the month of November, obviously losing three games. You don't feel too, too bad about losing to Clemson, but you feel a little bit more bad about losing to Virginia Tech, and you feel worse about losing to Syracuse mm -hmm. after how the season started and how Syracuse was playing for much of this season. To lose this game, this one really, really stings. And Wake Forest is still going to go to a bowl game, and they'll probably be favored in the bowl game they end up in because they're probably going to end up in one of these Tier 2 or Tier 3 ACC bowls when, in reality, they're a lot closer to you know, the upper fringe of Tier 2 for some of these bowl games, and they just didn't really play well here down the stretch of the season. And yeah, it's just... It's kind of disappointing because of how well they played and what they looked like, and they were ranked, and everything was going really swell, and till it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> and this is a really, really bad loss for Wake Forest because Syracuse is not a very good team this year. And to never lead in this game, I don't care that's on the road. You never led, and you have more than enough playmakers to get the job done. While you had to change quarterbacks from Jamie Newman to Sam Hartman, Sam Hartman's been there before, buddy. Like mm -hmm. he's played quarterback at Wake Forest for most of last season. He was the starter. He's played at times this year due to injury for Jamie Newman. Like Sam Hartman knows how to handle these situations. And the turnovers really, really killed Wake Forest in this football game. It's a bummer they couldn't get it done. Yeah. Um, it's This was just kind of a wild game in so many ways. Um, Wake outgained Syracuse by almost 130 yards. Um, Syracuse was penalized 12 times for 122 yards. Um, but again, none of that mattered for Wake when you, you go minus two in turnovers and ultimately give away five, you know, five of them. Um, that's just, it's not going to get it done. And the other thing I was going to say, you know, as much as it does seem like Wake Forest has kind of petered out here the, the last, you know, third of the season, they've gone one and three against, again, Virginia Tech, Clemson, and now Syracuse, um, with those being losses. You start to understand it at least a little bit. They weren't any more competitive against Virginia Tech and against Syracuse when, their best player was out, you know, he, he left in the middle of the Virginia Tech game and had never played again, um, at least not yet. I, who's to say if he'll ever play again? I'm sure he will. Um, but not having your best player on offense and then losing your quarterback in the middle of this game, I mean, it, you know, it, it's like Wake Forest was kind of starting to lose a battle of attrition is kind of, I think, where some of this was coming in. And so I... It's a tough loss. It's not the best look. And like you said, Sam Hartman, I mean, you've been there before. You, you, that's a backup quarterback you can have ex, ex, expectations for. Um, but, I, you know, I, not the best look, not the best loss. Um, ultimately, Wake Forest finishes 8-4. and four. That's pretty good. But 4-4 four and four in conference, um, that, that's not quite what we were expecting of the Demon Deacons this year. Losing three out of four down the stretch is not great. Mm -mm. Not the best. Um Dave Clawson, not on the hot seat. Uh, no, definitely not on the hot seat. Yeah. Syracuse, by the way, finishes 5-7, and 2-6 and six in conference. So uh, not another 4-8 and eight year for Dino, um, but not bowl eligible again. It was a disappointing year, but it ended up being better than we thought. I mean, they went two out of their final three games, and all of a sudden you go from us making jokes about you going winless in conference to – you all of a sudden not going winless in conference and actually looking pretty respectable in a year where you had to replace your quarterback. Yep. Yep, not bad. Syracuse 39, Wake Forest 30 in overtime there. Let's keep moving. Duke 27, Miami 17. Mike, you want to talk about the Hurricanes? I have questions. Uh, yeah, we have so many questions. Where to begin? I don't even – I, I mean, 
So let's let's start here. We did say before the season that this game was kind of perched pretty precariously on Miami's schedule there at the end of deep into November, especially if you're not playing for a conference title. You got to pick up and go to Durham and play in the mausoleum that they play in. Like, okay, and sure enough, uh, <laughs> jumped up and bit them. Oh yeah, it did. Um, Miami would love to blame this on the fact that they were playing at Duke, and it's a really dull library-like place to play. They would mm-hmm. love to blame it on that. They were too busy running for 41 carries for 98 yards, not even two and a half yards per rush against a Duke defense that's really not any good. Uh, Jaron Williams, 11 of 26 for 142 yards and a touchdown this game. That wasn't great. Uh, really just not good numbers there. Duke, okay, Quentin Harris, he was 10 of 24 passing for 156 yards and a touchdown. Miami he let that quarterback beat them. Yeah. Yeah, what's yeah. that tell you? Duke <sighs> had nine sacks in this game. They sacked Jaron Williams nine times. Or it might have been actually Nikosi Perry. We had a Nikosi Perry sighting at the end of this game, too, by the way. <laughs> we did we did, for better or worse. Uh Joey, I have an observation. Yes, sir. Uh Miami's offensive line isn't very good. It is, yeah. Borderline horrific. Maybe not borderline, yeah. maybe just actually horrific. Um, yeah. Duke's defense is not, like, awful, but you got sacked nine times by that defense? Yikes. Yikes, Yikes is right. Uh, Miami held the ball for seven more minutes than mm-hmm. Duke did in this football game, and they scored 17 points. Oof. Oof. Miami oh, fin- the four. Go ahead. Sorry. Miami finishes the season having allowed forty-seven sacks. That's second most in the conference. Beautiful. Um, they also continue to be really, really bad on third down. They were four for twenty on third down this football game, Joey. Mm. Yikes! My goodness. Yeah. That, so Duke just rolled up nine sacks coming into this game. They had rolled up twenty-six on the entire season. I. So how or why that happened, um, man, just not not a good look for Miami here. Yeah, that was really not good, Joey. Um, and you look at just Duke again. I mean, Duke was only 6 of 19 on third down. I, you know, I just mentioned that third down stat, right? Um, Duke 6 of 19 on third down. So it's not like Duke all of a sudden was so much more better on offense than Miami was in this football game to win. But Miami just continues to shoot themselves in the foot. And it's just... It's brutal. I mean, the third, the lack of ability to convert on third down has now haunted Miami for a majority of the last month or so, and they haven't been great at it all year. But the last few games, it's been pretty harrowing uh, what they've been doing, or I guess haven't been doing on third down. Did you see what uh, Miami did on third down? By the way, in this game, four for twenty. Four for twenty. Do you think that was on purpose? <sighs> Go get him, Canes. Okay, let's. Uh... Let's leave that there. <laughs> we Let's see you. We see you, Miami, going four for if, 20. Yeah. Both if 20. only to bring that stat up to make another <laughs> weed joke because uh, Miami, for some of the plays that they make on both sides of the football, you hope their players are high. <laughs> <laughs> it would give you an explanation at least. Yeah, um, exactly. I'll, I'll say this. I mean, this game was played in some pretty awful, nasty weather, so... 
you really think that Miami was up to go play at Duke in the rain and the cold and all that? Almost certainly no. Um, no. no. Plus, but, they had such a real. They had such a tough game last week too. Oh so yeah, they, a, yeah. They had a. Uh, it was a four quarter game last week. They had to play. Yeah. Yeah. This was a letdown game after that. Um, that big showdown against FIU that they lost. Rivalry game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a bad look. Um, as we mentioned before, weird to think that less than a year into the tenure, Manny Diaz probably on the hot seat going into next year, but. I mean, the way that they have lost now three games that are just fairly inexcusable, inexplicable losses, um, those being against Georgia Tech, FIU, and now Duke, like, and especially for two of those to come at the very end of the first year, you know, you've you've got a couple losses to start the year, but like, okay, well, you know, a little bit of coaching changeover, maybe, and, you know, guys getting used to some things, you know, breaking a new quarterback, all that, okay, fine, but by the end of the year... You're getting beat 30-24 by FIU and 27-17 by Duke. I mean, come on. Like, that's that's just not good enough. To put it lightly, it's not good enough. And we talked about the quarterback play being an issue for Miami. Now it's, it's a problem, but now it's not the problem. Mm-hmm. Which, last year it was the problem. Mm-hmm. The year before that, it was the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's it's to the point now where you know Miami went from winning 10 games to not having that turnover luck then you know obviously move into the next season and then they move into this season thinking okay well as long as we have solid quarterback play we have all the pieces around this guy to make it work except they didn't mm-hmm. um, now offensive line's an issue now the defense isn't playing great you still have the issues at quarterback and now the play calling is an issue because nothing's working you can't run the ball you can't throw the ball there are all sorts of issues on the offensive side of the ball for Miami and it's not helping the defense yeah yeah I don't know what else to say um, this is yet another absolute clunker for Miami um, you hate to see it Mike you hate to see it you hate to see it Duke 27, Miami 17. Duke finishes 5-7. and seven. Might see them sneak their way into a bowl game, although I don't. I think we've got all the bowl slots covered at this point, so I don't think there's going to be any 5-7 and seven APR bowls. It was looking dicey for a minute there. It looked like we had more bowl slots than bowl-eligible teams, but a lot of bowl-eligible teams, or I guess a lot of teams that were on that bubble, uh, ended up punching their ticket over the last two weeks, so... Um, I think Duke might not be playing in a bowl game five and seven, Joey, like you mentioned. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, same for Syracuse at five and seven, probably not. Uh, Duke twenty-seven, Miami seventeen. Uh, last conference game we got here, Mike. North Carolina forty-one, NC State ten. Um, this is the part of the podcast where we get into a whole bunch of blowouts. Um, this game was not a blowout at halftime. NC State led this game at halftime ten to six, and then North Carolina came out in the third quarter and absolutely just put their foot on the gas um, and scored 28 points. Um, obviously, they scored about 35 unanswered to end the game there in the second half. NC State had nothing nothing for them at that point. But, um, I, you know, I felt like this was a, a bit of a game for a while. Again, NC State going to hang around. It's a rivalry, all those things. Um, but, I mean, UNC's drives in the second half, three and out, Touchdown, 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 end of game. Oh, yeah, that'll work. So they got something figured out at halftime, you got to say. They did. They had a bunch of chunk plays in there, too. Had a 26-yard touchdown run from Javante Williams, who had three touchdowns in the second half, by the way, all in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Deami Brown, 52-yard touchdown catch. Also in the third quarter, Sam Howell had a really nice day throwing the football. Like you mentioned, this was not a blowout all the way through. It was a blowout after the third quarter, though, mm-hmm. and I can't <laughs> – I'm going to be honest with you, Joey. I mentioned that UNC was my lock of the week, yep. um, and I said that was going to be my pick. And I was a little bit concerned about it at halftime, I'm not going to lie to you, because mm-hmm. I looked at the way NC State was playing, especially defensively. I was like, you know what? <laughs> They're bottling up North Carolina in a way I did not think was possible mm-hmm. after watching this NC State team all year. Entering this this game 1-6 and six in conference play and 4-7 and, four and seven overall, I was like, man, how can I feel good about anything that North Carolina State's doing right now? Mm-hmm. And then the first half happened. I was like, all right, well, maybe they're going to hang around here. And, you know, it's a rivalry game. And you know, ugly it up a little bit and get into a low scoring affair with North Carolina. And that's the way you're going to beat this high powered offense with Sam Howell. And it looked like they were going to do that for a while. Then the second half happened, Joey in North Carolina, like you mentioned, put their foot on the gas, big second half from Javante Williams. You had the, the touchdowns from Sam Howell, obviously to cap things off. He had a touchdown pass to Daz Newsom in the fourth quarter as well. So yeah, things started moving in a much more positive direction for North Carolina in the second half. They ended up blowing North Carolina State out, which is what they should have done. It also probably helped a little bit that North Carolina State turned the ball over four times on their seven second-half drives, if I'm counting this right. Uh, yep. NC State's second-half drive chart. Three and out, interception, three and out, fumble, interception, turnover on downs, interception. Is that bad? It's not not really how you draw it up. We'll say that. Um yeah, I mean this this was this got pretty bad there for a while in the second half. Devin Leary and Bailey Hockman both saw some action. They combined to go thirteen to thirty for one fifty seven and a touchdown and three picks. Not good. No, no, just a lot of turning the ball over. Um, Zonovan, Knight, Zonovan Knight even uh, lost a fumble in this game. That's that's not a good sign. Um, yeah, this is a this ends up being a very rough year for NC State, and that's another program that we're going to need to talk about here in the offseason a little bit as. I, I don't exactly know where those things stand there. Um, but as we've discussed previously, I've got opinions. I got opinions too. And <laughs> you've been on this much longer than I have. You were beating that drum for a while before I was on the Dave Doran. Is he actually a good coach thing? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a list of names on the hot seat heading into next season. Uh, Dave Doran's going to be on it. And maybe even on top of that list, Joey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. That's going to be an interesting conversation to have. It's, you know, one of the things we talked about was, oh, well, his conference record looks pretty bad, but if you throw out the 0-8 season he had in his first year, well, it's not nearly so bad. It's like, okay, well, maybe that was year zero. What was this again? Like year six, year seven? And they went 1-7 yeah. in conference? Yeah, what's what's your excuse? Is it, oh, um, our quarterback got hurt? Because that's not going to work because your quarterback didn't get hurt, Joey. All three of them just happened to suck. Yeah, none of them have yeah. developed, and they're all just sort of rotating in, in varying levels of ineffective. Um, Dave Dorn, by the way, now 21-35 and 35 in conference at NC State. Not great. No, not great. Uh, North Carolina's bowling. They're 6-6. Uh, they're six and six. Oh, yeah, they are. Year one under Mac Brown, got him to do a bowl game. That's a, that's a pretty good coaching job. And, and again, for them to pull this out and, and have a big win after playing close game after close game after close game for basically the entire year, um, kind of, uh, you know, forge the waters of some bad luck at times with, you know, losing some close games and all that. This is a uh, nice little finish, and it'll be a good, you know, few extra weeks of practice for the Tar Heels. 
For sure. I mean, got him into a bowl game and found a quarterback who's really good and a lot of dynamic playmakers on the outside. And the defense, I think, look, it hasn't always been pretty for North Carolina this year defensively, but I think they have shown signs of being decent. So keep an eye on that. I think the defense in North Carolina next year, if they're able to take a couple steps forward there, I think offensively they are obviously going to be really good. They should be one of the favorites in the Coastal next season. Yeah, I think so. I Yeah, as we look at the... Uh the overall landscape of the conference, this is probably one of the teams you expect to be another step ahead next year. Um, that should help, help the conference's perception. We'll say, um, yes, I would agree. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on them. North Carolina, 41 NC state 10, Uh, a couple more here, Mike, the ACC sec challenge was not, this will be quick. Yeah. Not very challenging. Uh, number 11, Florida, 40, Florida state 17. This was the most competitive game of these four. Um, you know, I I don't know what all to say here. Um, Florida's good, um, very good, and Florida State just didn't quite have it. Uh, this is, I think, the first game that Odell Haggins has lost as interim head coach in either of his stints, by the way. Um, Florida State really struggled to move the ball in this game. Uh, they and, and Florida's defense is really good, and, and we kind of – figure that that was going to be an issue. I think the biggest disappointment to me was that Florida State gives up 390 passing yards to Florida, um, including 343 and three, three, three touchdowns to uh, Kyle Trask, who I, I think that that's a little bit of an inflated stat line for him. We'll say that. Um, it's He's not bad. I don't think he's that good. He's not that good. I mean, didn't even start in high school. So Yeah, but... You know why he didn't start in high school. I, I, I do know why he didn't start in high school. He's backing up this little dude named Derek King. <laughs> Happens to be pretty good at football. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's okay. Yeah, decent. Um, yeah, it's fine. I mean, he's a he's a college quarterback. Guy's not helpless. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's Florida State made Kyle Trask look a lot better than he probably is. Granted, I, I do think Trask has been decent since he's taken over a quarterback for Felipe Franks and... Florida winning 10 games this year, not having Franks, and, you know, you lose a couple tough games. It kind of is what it is, right? I mean, it's a pretty good year for Florida, in my opinion. And defensively, Florida State had a really, really hard time uh, throwing the football. You mentioned, you know, James Blackman. He was 14-23 for 150 yards. Nothing came easy in this game. Um, Cam Akers, 17 carries for 102 yards. I mean, that was good. The problem is he got most of that on one carry he had a 50 yard run Mm -hmm. so while he averaged six yards per carry you look a little bit deeper and he really had 16 carries for 52 yards and one carry for 50 yards and that's really how he got his stats so Florida State really had a lot of trouble moving the football as we thought they would and offensive line's been an issue they haven't been able to get the the ball to their playmakers as much as you'd like and you knew they were going to get exposed, and for this to be the closest game in the SEC-ACC challenge, and this really wasn't all that close, that should tell you a lot about where things stood on Saturday for the ACC. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for what it's worth, Florida started this game on offense with three touchdown drives, 11 plays, 75 yards, 13 plays, 75 yards, three plays, 85 yards. Um, they were They were just... They're just better than Florida State in this game, honestly, Mike. Uh, they outgained them by over 200 yards, and Florida State penalized 13 times for 97 yards. That's not not really helping, but nope. You know. Anyways, Knowles finished six and six. Uh, they're going to be going to a bowl game, and they're going to be getting a new coach. Probably not Odell Haggins. 
Probably not. That'd be fun, but probably not. I wouldn't hate it. Uh, Florida, 40. Florida State, 17. I'll keep moving. Kentucky, 45. Louisville, 13. Yuck. Uh, Whoops. I was wrong on this one. Yeah, I had this one completely, completely wrong. Um, This game was was close at halftime. It was 17-13. Louisville scores just a few seconds before halftime. JV and Hawkins with a 56-yard run um, to to, uh, pull the game within four for Louisville. And then in the second half, they had absolutely no answer for Lynn Bowden Jr., um, quarterback for Kentucky. Kentucky, I mean, put it this way, Kentucky only threw like two or three passes in this game. Um, They just ran and ran and ran the hell out of the ball. They only had 40 carries, but it went for 517 yards and six touchdowns. Yeah, when I picked Louisville outright, I wasn't accounting for Kentucky setting a school record, by the way, with mm-hmm. those statistics you just mentioned for 517 six touchdowns. Not having an answer for Lynn Bowden was an understatement. He had 22 carries for 284 yards and four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Christopher Rodriguez Jr. was the second leading rusher. He had nine carries for 125 yards and a touchdown. Lynn Bowden averaged 12.9 yards per carry. Christopher Rodriguez averaged 13.9 yards per carry. Neither one of those is getting the job done. And that's before you even talk about Cavosley Smoke, which is a beautiful name. Mm-hmm. Two carries, 75 yards. That's 37 and a half yards per carry on those two rushing attempts. It's pretty efficient. Yes. Um, should we talk about Kentucky's passing attack? Uh, uh, what now? Uh, Lynn Bowden Jr., uh, one of two for four yards. Okay, so you got the better part of a first down. Yes. So the good news, all right, so the good news is that um, they completed a pass. Yeah. Um, While they only had four yards passing, uh, they had 521 total yards because 517 on the ground was a school record. Louisville, what are you doing? Yeah, they got outgained by like 200 yards on the ground. Uh, Overall, and almost all of that on the ground. So that's not not the best look. This, for what it's worth, this was a little bit of another like weather impacted game. Um, you know, cold, rainy, and all that. Um, Louisville, which has been fairly pass happy at times, only through only through nineteen passes in this game. Um, you know, Mikhail Cunningham, six of eleven for seventy eight yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Like, if if they can't get that passing attack going, there's only so much it's gonna it's gonna ever work for Louisville. Jaden Hawkins again, a a you know, yeoman's effort with uh, 22 carries for 142 and a touchdown. Like, you know, he he was uh, trying to carry the load for the Cardinals, but it just it wasn't enough because uh, Kentucky had about 450 more yards on the ground or whatever. You know, so <laughs> that's yep. He almost got there, Louisville. Um, almost. That's it. So a, a bit of a thud of an ending. Louisville finishes seven and five, but again, that's a a huge improvement. That's a five win improvement in year one under Scott Satterfield. So all you got to do is improve by five more wins next year, and uh, you'll be in good shape. Uh, good shape would be an understatement. <laughs> Quite the understatement, yeah. Yep. They would be in undefeated and playoff shape. Yeah. I'd, I'd be okay with that. Go Cards. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I, Why not? I don't care if Louisville's good. I, I don't <laughs> care if they're bad. I'd completely indifferent on them. I do like Scott Satterfield, though, and he's done a great job. I've seen a lot of the uh, Georgia Tech contingent that like really hates Louisville, and I think it's why I think, I think it's a pearl clutching thing. Uh, I think it's you know it's being on the high horse and things. And this is what I tell people actually is a great part about being a Georgia Tech fan and a Louisville fan is I get to choose when I want to be on the high horse and when I want to get off of it. I, I can be on both sides of that whole thing. It's great. Is it great? Yeah, yeah. it's great. It's, it's wonderful. I love it. 
Kentucky 45, Louisville 13. Uh, number three, Clemson 38, South Carolina 3. Uh, don't get in the way of the train, Mike. Uh, South Carolina, unfortunately, stepped right out in front of that train. They sure did. Uh, it was 24-3 at halftime. 38-3 was the final. Trevor Lawrence, um, he had a bad day. He had 10 incompletions. Oof. Yeah. Um, didn't like really a, look like it. I was going to say, he didn't really look like himself. He was only 26 of 36 for 295 yards and three touchdowns. And when I say he didn't look like himself, I meant he really did look like himself because he also had 66 yards on the ground. Uh, you got benched yeah. for Chase Bryce late in this game. That tells you how his day was going. Yeah, he must have really sucked. <laughs> Man. South Carolina tell- comes out of this game with like 174 total yards of offense. Yep. Kind of to be expected. Yeah, you know, former Clemson running back, Tavian Feaster, 12 carries, 47 yards against his former team. Um, Is the grass greener over there, Tavian? Well, let me answer this for you. He could have actually gone and played running back at Virginia Tech. <laughs> I knew who's, this was coming. <laughs> who's going to a bowl game, but... Hey, hey! If you want to uh, hitch your horse to the four and eight, well, must champ train that's <laughs> going to be past the ox cord and going to blow up on the Oregon Trail. Be my guest. Hey, he had seven carries for twenty-seven yards and a win over Georgia earlier this year. <sighs> yep. So, South Carolina's bad, huh? They're not that good. They're not that good, and. You know, what little good they have going on defense, the offense is just not anywhere in position to uh, make make use of it. Yeah. Um, you know what they should do? They should call up Florida State and see how they make those buyout numbers work. Mm-hmm. Because that hasn't happened already, like two weeks ago. Yeah. Might be time to check on that. Yep. Hmm. More to come. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, yeah. Clemson 38, South Carolina 3, and, uh, Mike, I think that's it. Oh, no, it's not. What do you mean, no, it's not? I think we covered it all. Clean old-fashioned hate. Number four, Georgia, 52. Georgia Tech, 7, down on the flats. Uh, Joey, which part of this do you want to talk about first? I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar. I don't know. Um, I, so, um, Okay. As, as deep into the game action as I'll get, uh, this game was actually like competitive in the first half. In Why? Because Georgia's offensive game plan was basically this is like a glorified scrimmage. Like the, it, This is literally like they were running practice. Um, Georgia came out slinging the ball badly. Um, and so they, they went three and out on their first two drives, and... The only reason was that they were hell-bent on throwing the ball, which they're decidedly not good at. As soon as they started running the ball, I mean, it was just clockwork moving the ball down the field. Like, it was nothing. But for some reason, they they were intent on trying to throw the ball here. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a total mess. Uh, they There were a couple of special team shenanigans, too. There was, like, a Georgia Tech punt that Georgia dropped, like, in, in field goal range that Georgia Tech was able to score a touchdown on. That was their only score of the game. So all to say, there was a lot of, you know, Georgia, I think it was minus two or minus three in turnovers in the first half. So there were a lot of shenanigans here in the first half that made this thing competitive. They came out after halftime and just absolutely sat on Georgia Tech. Jake Fromm was out of the game by the end of the third quarter. Um, This was never really competitive after halftime. Um, 
Now, what I will say is uh, meaningful outcomes of this game. And, and I tweeted this out. And, and I'm going to start by saying this is in no way meant to be like a celebratory statement or a, you know, a celebratory event. It's more just in the you know, larger scheme of college football, it didn't really matter if Georgia won this game by 20 points or 40 points. Um, that's not important. What's important is that DeAndre Swift left this game with an injury. And that's George, significant. That's significant. And George Pickens, Georgia's now second best wide receiver or, or best wide receiver, I guess, still playing, left this game uh, through an ejection, meaning he's now going to miss the first half of next week's game. So when Georgia, who is trying to you know beat LSU in the SEC championship game and needs to beat LSU to make the playoff, they're already probably pretty outmanned on offense. And now they're going to be without Lawrence Cager, their best wide receiver who broke an ankle. Uh, George Pickens for the first half for fighting and DeAndre Swift potentially with an injury. Now they said that he's going to be okay. It was just a shoulder contusion, whatever, but you know, this isn't looking great. And Georgia, Georgia came out again, trying to pass the ball. I don't know, trying to get Jake Fromm in rhythm. He finishes 14 to 29, less than 50% passing against a middling Georgia tech defense, um, that didn't have much in the way of a pass rush and all this stuff. You know, I, I, there's not a lot of excuse for it, and I I just have a feeling that it's not going to be pretty for Georgia in uh, in the SEC championship game this coming weekend. I'm not sure it is either, and you mentioned all the reasons why, so I won't just rehash those. But Jake Fromm not really being that great of a passer all year long was something I wasn't necessarily expecting. Mm-hmm. This has not been an issue for Georgia, right? Like, Sure, you talk about Georgia and and their lack of explosiveness on offense and inability to hit big plays in the passing game. We've talked about that before, and and I'm talking like before this season, but for Jake Fromm to look this bad against a Georgia Tech defense that, let's face it, they've been good relative to what their offense has been. Um, They've been decent at times. They've been bad at times. They've been overall pretty mediocre, which I mean, in year zero, it's a year zero situation with Jeff Collins and the overhaul on both sides of the football, all things considered, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And the defense will be good for Georgia tech, Mm -hmm. but for Jake Fromm to go 14 to 29 passing against this defense, uh, look, everybody likes to make fun of LSU's defense because LSU's defense relative to their offense is, is not quite as good. But their defense is better than Georgia Tech's, and LSU awaits next weekend in the SEC championship game, and you mentioned all the implications, the playoff, and trying to win the conference and all that. Jake Fromm being unable to throw, having your running back banged up, and now two of your top receivers out. Man, hammer LSU. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Yeah, if you can get LSU inside of a touchdown, I am all over that. Um, Yep. The only other thing I want to say about Georgia Tech here is the offensive game plan in this game – was a, an absolute mystery to me. Um, Georgia Tech came out determined to establish the run. Why? You ran the Don't ball know. 37 times. Jordan Mason got 16 carries. James Graham got a few carries. Not all of that was on a scramble, you know, or, or scramble situations. It was like, we're going to try to run the ball. You can't block Georgia, and they're really good at defending the run anyways. Like, what they was are. the thinking there? You should, you know, I, I would. James Graham finishes five of twenty passing. I would have preferred they sit there and just chuck it all around the yard, throw a couple of interceptions, who cares, whatever. But like, take a couple shots down the field, try to get some big plays, get Georgia's defense on their heels or something. It was like you were just playing right into their hand by running the ball right at them. And this is the running thing that, it. Yeah, this is the thing that just gets me with this coaching staff this year 
and maybe it's maybe it's that there really are things that they're trying to do beyond just win games. Yep. But there are so many of the times where the the game plan has made absolutely zero sense this year, and it's it's something that we're going to have to continue to monitor with this Georgia Tech coaching staff moving forward. I was just going to say, running into the teeth of the Georgia defense seems like a losing proposition. Georgia is now first in defense, uh, defensive SP plus, and they are first in special teams SP plus. They are really, really bad on offense, mm-hmm. and it's Georgia's a really, really, really good team, a really, really good team, mm-hmm. um, borderline elite if they had an offense. And mm-hmm. it's going to be one of those times and one of those years, I'm afraid. And and doesn't matter for you because you hate Georgia, but just in the grand scheme of college football, it's one of those great teams that's going to be wasted because they can't find an offense. And we saw it with LSU in the past, and it feels like the same sort of roster. This is literally less miles LSU, this yeah, Georgia team. Yeah, hate version to of see it. it, Mike. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. Yeah, there was some talk, I think, earlier in the week about if and when Georgia does kind of get boat raced by LSU next week, um, does it kind of force Kirby Smart's hand to change offensive coordinators here? Um, keep in mind, this is year one of uh, James Coley calling the offense up in Athens uh, with, uh, oh man, I forget the guy's name. Old offensive coordinator left and went to Tennessee. Um and you've replaced him with James Coley, who was your quarterback's coach, and it really hasn't worked out a whole lot better than it did when he was calling the Miami offense a few years ago. So maybe it's time to modernize that thing, but feel free to not because it's it's going to make sure that, you know, <laughs> there's a certain cap on that program, and I'm, I'm happy with that cap. Let's say that. Yes, you're happy with that cap. That cap will beat Georgia Tech, but it won't do much else on the national scale. That's right. No cap. No cap, no salary cap. Um, isn't that what the youths are saying these days, Mike? No cap, something about that. <laughs> nah. I don't know. I don't. I don't keep up with the youth. I'm an old curmudgeon. <laughs> Where the wrong guys be asking? Yes. Uh, Georgia washed. 52. Hashtag washed. <laughs> Georgia 52. Georgia Tech seven. Uh, Mike, couple awards for the last time this year. The Go ACC moment of the week. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that Florida State struggled with offensively in their game against Florida, uh, but they didn't, you know, struggle to get creative, we'll say. And there was a play in the third quarter, uh, early in the third quarter, where Florida State tried to get a little tricky. Uh, they're going to try to throw a double pass. And, well, here's what happened. Side by Ventrell Miller, the linebacker. Double pass coming. DJ Matthews can't quite get it off. Play fake will buy him some extra time. And then he flicks it downfield and completes it somehow to Terry. Tamarian Terry takes it for 25 yards on what was designed to be a throwback, and they finally got to it. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, the, uh, the, the wherewithal of DJ Matthews to catch that pass that was designed to be a double pass or a throwback, have to start evading a tackler, runs all the way across the field. I mean, literally, basically sideline to sideline, dodges a tackler at the end, and then before he gets tackled, just sort of underhand flips the ball to Scary Terry, who then picks up 25 yards. Amazing. Amazing. Go ACC. Still completes the double pass, right? I mean, Uh maybe it wasn't quite the chunk play they were looking for there. I know they were looking for essentially a touchdown off that play you're going for all or nothing but you still picked up 25 yards and the way it looks when 
that first pass from uh, Blackman to DJ Matthews was completed. The way it looked initially, I wasn't sure it was going to turn out all that well. Mm-hmm. They turned into a 25-yard gain, so not a whole lot went right for Florida State, but this did, and usually we have the go ACC moment of the week wait, make fun of you know somebody for being really terrible or a team for being really terrible. This was a terrible play that ended up working out, oddly, yeah. but it was a very go ACC moment for sure. Very much so. Um, so go ACC to you, DJ Matthews. Um, beautiful mess of a play that ended up working out. So very fun. Very cool. Uh, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial. You tried award, Mike. Uh, Miami's trying to get Manny Diaz fired, it kind of seems like. Yeah, they're trying. <laughs> they're trying. They might even be succeeding. Yeah, you could say that. Um, yeah, it's not going great in South Beach. So, you know, you tried Miami. <laughs> I don't know if you they tried. tried to get him fired or tried to help him keep his job, but it, either way, um, one of those is going better than the other, we'll say. Yeah. I Look, he, I, I mentioned this on the last podcast. Manny Diaz has effectively Willie Taggarted himself. Mm-hmm. So next year, better get off on the right foot. That's all I'll say. Mike, we've got breaking news. What's that news, Joey? Sources tell Bruce Feldman Boston College has fired Steve Adazio. So, You're kidding. Nope. Uh, that just came across the old Twitter feed here. Uh, Bruce Feldman, what was this, like 15 minutes ago? Yeah. So, You've got to be kidding me. Uh, yeah. Good thing this happened while we're still recording. Um, but yeah, Boston College has fired Steve Adazio. So we've got some movement on the coaching front there. Wow. Uh, Steve Adazio never finished above 500 in a number of years there as head coach. Uh, Let me look up and make sure that that's right. That is correct. Um, In seven seasons at the helm, he finished four and four or worse in conference every single year. Five of those seven years, it was exactly four and four. Wow. Yeah, exactly 44 and 44 overall, 22 and 34 in conference. So, this is a weird. This is a very weird time to fire him, Joey. And this is this is why. And this is very raw reaction, right? Mm-hmm. But if you were going to fire him, why didn't you do it like two weeks ago? Um, and the reason why I say that is, you saw the way Boston College played yesterday, and they and they played well, and they won the game against Pittsburgh, and they're going to a bowl game. And you saw at the locker room, I'm sure, after the game, and how excited they were to be going to a bowl game. I get firing him, right? I get why they're moving on. I don't really necessarily understand the timing all that well. I, I think if you're going to make this decision, why didn't you just make it a month ago and, and get a head start on your coaching search? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a valid question. Um, you know, so, so Boston College won 58-27 against Syracuse here November 2nd. So that was almost, that'll be a month ago tomorrow as we record here on Sunday afternoon. Um since then, yeah, they, they got beat by Florida State at home. That was Florida State's first game without Willie Taggart. Uh, they had a bye week. They go to Notre Dame and got blown out. And then they had this game at Pittsburgh that they won. So in that regard, what yeah, what did you see that made you want to keep him through the Pittsburgh game? You know, if, if, you, if you felt like you were going to fire him, probably fire him after the Florida State game. Give the new coach, you know, a little bit of time on the bye week to prepare for Notre Dame and pittsburgh and that kind of you know so i i think i see that i i will say though it's it's if you're gonna do it do it now don't wait anymore especially as 
Florida State, you know, and some of these other teams get deeper into their coaching searches. Um, you know, Rutgers made their hire last night, which that's a different discussion. But I, you know, that's what I, I, I think do it now and go ahead and get moving on this thing before waiting any longer. But I agree. I think that's a that's a very valid point, especially with this day and age of the early signing period. Yeah, probably the smart thing would have been to do this at least, a, you know, a, a few weeks ago if, if you're going to do it at all. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, now, with that being said, do I disagree with the decision? No, I don't. Uh, but with that being said, I am surprised they pulled the trigger on it, Joey. I am surprised. Now, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into candidates at Boston College and who we think will be a good a good play there and everything else on other podcasts, um, maybe leading up to the ACC championship game because there's only so much we can talk about in regards to the game that Clemson, by the way, 21.5-point favorite against Virginia with the opening spread today. So... Um, I, I think we knew that the we yeah we knew the winner of the game uh the winner of the coastal you know in this UVA Virginia Tech game on Friday we knew there would be a two to three score underdog against Clemson and that's coming to fruition so we'll talk about that game we'll talk about angry listener emails we'll probably talk about who Boston College could hire as Steve Adazio's replacement man this is um I was not expecting this I, I thought yeah. that it could happen at some point I. This is weird. Weird timing, but yeah. I don't know. BC BC making a move to better their football program is always welcomed here. Well, it's just great that they do this like 30 minutes after we're on here talking about how there's no urgency and we don't know what the expectations are and all that good stuff. So uh, go ACC to you, Boston College. But I oh yeah, I don't I don't inherently disagree with this move as a general rule. Um, now here do I as I listed off a couple of the numbers before. I mean this this program has only ever just plateaued under Adazio at a pretty unremarkable level. So um, I, I think ultimately this isn't, this isn't the worst thing you can do. And I, I don't, I don't see how, how this could really realistically end up as a bad thing. Famous no. last words about a team going into a coaching search. Well, I mean, how significant is the difference from being a seven and five team under Steve Adazio to at best this year being a seven and six team to then losing maybe a game or two more a year, right? Like, what's the significant? I get bowl games are significant to uh, mediocre programs like Boston College. I, I get that. I get the larger implications. But as far as going into a coaching search and things that can go wrong, it would have to be an abject disaster for it to get much worse than it already is for BC, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, I'm all for making this move. I know you are too. I'm all for making this move for Boston College to better the program and increase the seven win ceiling. Because that's where they're at right now, and they clearly want to be better than that. I think this is the right move, and quite frankly, a few years overdue. But this is, uh, at the end of the day, I think the right decision. That's right. All right. Uh, Yeah, we're going to come back and talk about that a little bit more. A couple more things, Mike. Uh, We'll finish off these awards. You're not getting away from this, by the way. Uh, ACC Player of the Week, your boy Bryce Perkins. Uh, He had a remarkable game. Again, almost 500 yards of offense by himself between passing and rushing. Um, big play after big play. He was really the biggest reason that Virginia was able to do what they were able to do and win the Coastal Division and, and break the streak. And as such, Virginia is also the ACC Team of the Week. Yep. <laughs> Penny for your thoughts, Mike? Bryce Perkins is a really good player. UVA is very <laughs> deserving of being the Team of the Week. And beyond that, I don't have much to say. You, you seem like you uh, forgot your nausea meds this morning. You need to 
go get a little of that or get a trash can nearby or something? That sound you heard in the background is me throwing up in my shoe. <laughs> All right. Go ACC, Bryce Perkins in Virginia. Um, yep. One last time. Good for uh, them. Mike, that's all I got in week 14. Anything else before we get out of here? On to the ACC championship, on to bowl season, on to season reviews, on to the playoff, on to a lot of good stuff. So. Yeah, we got a lot of good stuff coming here. Um, yeah, we got a, a conference championship game that we've generally known what was coming all year. Um, we have not known who the second name of the teams involved was going to be, but I think we all pretty much kind of know what the result is going to be. Uh, Clemson early on a 28 and a half point favorite. I don't see a lot of reason to get in front of that train. Um, I, I, I don't see, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that game coming, but you know, just if you're trying to get on an early action, I would imagine that line is not, not going to be going down. I don't think. I don't think so. And if it is, I'm jumping all over it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Not an indictment of Virginia. Just, it's Clemson. <laughs> Not specifically Virginia. It's kind of, I mean, that was going to be basically anybody else in the conference. So Correct. Yeah, correct. So it's not just Virginia. It's it's everybody else versus Clemson. And, you know. Yep. Um, all right, Mike, let's get out of here. We're going to come back and uh, preview that game. How's that? Yep. All right. Well, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns, your thoughts on the Steve Adazio firing. Uh, all of that, you can send it to the longest email address, no demand basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And most importantly, Mike, they can find us in the Anchor app. Uh, we appreciate those who have. And uh, Mike, you want to tell me where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Appreciate those who have uh, shared us with your friends. And, uh, you know, if you're still listening, real quick, uh, we we do keep doing this podcast through the uh, off offseason. Um, we, we will keep going through conference championship and, and, and do bowl previews and all those good things. Um, and then through the offseason, we, we record probably, you know, probably about once a month. Um, so this is a year-round podcast. So, uh Keep keep sharing us with your friends, please. Do. Yeah, and if you keep sh- if you keep sharing us with your friends, maybe you'll become more than just one podcast a month in the off season. Maybe we'll go like extra crazy for you guys. Who Hell knows? yeah, all about it, all about it. Um, all right, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. Let's come back and uh, preview that championship game. Let's do that and a lot of other stuff. Turns out, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe even more by the time we get there. So we'll uh, we'll have to see. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Uh, Congratulations to everybody on a great season, um, except for NC State, I guess. Uh, Until next time. And Miami. And Miami also, yeah. All right. And until next time, go ACC.